As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's episode of The Glue Guys. Oh my gosh, we're going to talk about real-life basketball. We had a preseason, the preseason debut of the future NBA championship Brooklyn Nets. We'll talk about Cam Thomas, DeAndre Bembry, Paul Millsap, and more than, this is actually the real tease, Jake Fisher, a wonderful NBA reporter who writes for Bleacher Report. Uh, He's also written a book about tanking in the NBA. He will join us to talk about Kyrie Irving, vaccinations, trades, Ben Simmons, and so much more. Mike, you're in midseason form, buddy. Wow. This is Mike Hearsay Lebron. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BK Glue Guys, NetsDaily.com, The Athletic. Get yourself behind the paywall at TheAthletic.com slash Glue Guys. 550% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. And Brian, this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at DirecTV.com. Brian. Michael. It was a heavy open. I, the Nets are back. Yeah, it was a big one. I also, product, quick production note, I need you to come in soon. You're leaving me hanging these no, days. And the I, whole, don't the whole, want, <laughs> I don't want to limit you, Brian. You're so good at it. I don't want to I don't want to stifle you. Put this. That's for the production meeting. That's for the four-hour production meeting um, yes. on Sunday morning. Um, Brian, Squid Game, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Let's I mean, do we, no. you want to start no, there? No, <laughs> On who... Uh, killer comparisons don't Nets as Squid Game characters. <laughs> oh, good. We'll do that. We'll do that at the end. That's actually yeah. good. And yeah, we'll do that. I don't know any of their names, but I can tell you like the general yeah. old, mystique old of guy. Name. Yeah. Old guy. Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil things. Yeah, don't um, spoil. Brian, the Nets had a real live, kind of real live basketball yeah. game on Sunday. We are recording on Tuesday, so I apologize for the lateness uh, that's due on my part, but uh basketball i know you have basketball thoughts about the game against the lakers i have some takes you got takes did you watch i watched i watched brian we i don't want to name the site but brian there's a sneaky site where you can watch replays of games hop in the discord dm me find out well um it's a a we share resources in the discord link in the twitter (laughs) bio well the problem is adam silver listens to this podcast and we don't want him to shut it down true because it is such a great resource uh, the one thing I will say is that this place, the broadcast that I heard was the NBA TV feed, which I think were the Lakers home announcers. Yeah. And they talked about talent Hornet, Horton mm. Tucker as if he THT, was. THT. They're... As if he was LeBron James. <laughs> They're high. <laughs> to actually play for the Los I love, I, people always grill me about this when we watch on stream, but like, I love going with the away announcers just because I, I really want to hear what they're gossiping about. You know, I want to hear what they think of our guys. I want to hear what they think of their guys. Cause you know, I, you know, I love Ian and the, and the crew. Don't get me wrong. And I, and I pop in, but it is, it is like, um, what was that? Uh, Juicy Campus. You remember Juicy Campus back in the day? It was like what, a the website. It was a website that was like a like dark web version of Facebook where you were like encouraged to just gossip about people. That's sort of it's like oh being on God, Juicy. Do you Juicy remember? Campus. Do you remember that? 
Yeah. That's part, you know, that's the part of your brain where you're like, stuff is there, but you never mm-hmm. think it's going to be touched. That's, that's where it is. It's always on the front for me. Meme brain. I got, I got a bad case of meme brain. <laughs> um, but I watched the game and I had a hoot, Mike. We had a hoot because we are, somebody said our, our, what was our C team beat their B team. And now let's all go crazy. I think it was UK to BK yeah. podcast shout out. We were just on there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I mean, what's, it was a joy. So we want to hop in. What you got some takes? I got some takes. Yeah, I think it was the most important preseason game in that history. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, okay, disclaimer, right? Like a, a preseason game, most of the players that were in it aren't going to play all that much. But, I mean, Marcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap played a good amount, and they were playing against Anthony Davis. Um, you you could some, sometimes, parts yeah. of the game. I liked, I liked Paul, Paul Millsap's swipey defense on Anthony Davis. That seemed like you a like very that. much of a, like a, a preconceived you know, thing that they thought to do is like, don't even just, just swipe at him. And it kind of worked. Um, but anyways, I think like what preseason's good at it's to some extent is to like, you know, a lot of guys, um, and especially like people like Javon Carter come to mind and, and Bembry yeah. guys who have maybe been like passed around a little bit and are looking to sort of solidify some, some actual, some minutes here, um, kind of has like a, like you're going to a new high school kind of feel where it's like I I who, I who could I be this year? I could be anybody. They don't know me. They don't know me at all. I could I could be Speaking the cool guy. I, campus. I could yeah. be the cool guy. They don't know. And uh and I think Javon Carter tried that with some success some success in the beginning. Um I don't know how that held up. But Bembry, I got to tell you, like I did not have a good read on Bembry. He's got a lot more natural sort of, you know, talent than I thought, you know, full, full, full throat. He had that one, like pretty acrobatic, uh, double clutch reverse layup that I was like, I did not think that Bembry had any of that in his bag at all. Oh, Bembry's bag is, is, is bigger it deep? than the rocks. Is it, is when when that, there's that famous photo of the rock when he carried like right. a gigantic leather pouch. Um, Fanny bag. Uh, yeah, so I've always been a Bembry head, so uh, is, get off I, I my mean, corner. I got excited about Bembry when the moment they signed him because I went I did I did the Brian move. I went on the rival team's blog and people were upset about Bembry leaving mm-hmm. the Raptors that he was kind of like a ball handling wing yeah. that would would run the second team offense sometimes. Um now like what what I have no clue how good he is defensively in the end. I imagine he is very good, but he I, really, I couldn't really suss that out. He really game. like crashes the shit out of the boards, which I love. Like when he comes in, he love comes it. flying in. Um and he's like a also his his aesthetic, you know, this is this is the glue guys podcast where we talk a lot about body hair. He's a it's a very it's almost like um it's like a Lord of the Ring. Like, he looks like he's wearing a helmet with his hair that's like, <laughs> you know, kind of like you know, put down by the by the headband and then like Full beard under it. It's just like a lot of hair. It's a lot of hair coming at you, and it's it's just a wild man look. I I can really get behind. It's like a. It's sort of like Robin Williams when he comes back in Jumanji. That's the that's the that's what he's serving me. <laughs> you know? Give me the Robin Williams <laughs> out of Jumanji. Yeah. Um, I I mean, really, the biggest thing that I can see out of the game, like, so I like Kessler Edwards. I'll just give a little Kessler Edwards plug, though. Like his shot was super shaky because I think he was. A little bit like, oh, holy shit, I'm at Staples Center mm-hmm. um, kind of vibes. But Cam Thomas, like, we're, I feel like we're at a t- Cam Thomas's preseason is going to be the most hyped preseason in the history of Nuts basketball as well. Um, Dude, he's just going to be good. I mean, I think it's like, it's pretty fair to say that, like, he's, he, at, at this point right now, at this young age, he's like good, but limited to just being an insanely competent and, you know, single-minded scorer, which is good, but not like, you know, amazing at this, at this point. But like, that's, I think that's a lock. I don't know that you can look at that and say that that's not going to happen. Yeah. And like, who was he playing against? Like Brian Reeves or whoever that, yeah, the guy is. <laughs> is that Brian Big Country Brian Reeves? Reeves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big Country was, was, was in. Yeah. No, I mean like he wasn't, play- again, all of it's caveated. He wasn't playing against LeBron and Russ Westbrook, but like, he can still he can get to every spot on the floor that he wants to get to, and he's a immaculate mid range jumper. Mm. Like he he the his ability to actually hit mid range shots is is elite almost already. And I saw that there was some worldwide wob had tweeted that it's unfair that the Nets were able to get Cam Thomas when they did. I think there's going to be a lot of that. I mean, to me, he's basically bigger Lou Williams, right? Um, maybe a little bit less to the bucket, but 
more like outside shooting ability. Mm. You know what he's serving me? I'm, can I can I give one? Yeah, sort of like a Kron Butler. I'm getting a little like like just the size and this this like I guess maybe not as like creative off the triple. Never mind, I'll take it back. I don't know about Karan Butler, Brian. I mean, manufacture tension, not Karan Butler. I guess I'm just moving look at the size of him. How tall was Karan Butler? Karan Butler was like a wing, was a legit wing. Not like he wasn't six seven, but he was a he was a wing player. He wasn't a guard. I'm gonna look it up. Where I'm gonna make Cam is this off guard circle shape into the square hole here. Um, the thing I will say that was interesting to me during the game, and if like there's like one thing you could try to extrapolate in the season going forward, is that. Nash didn't play Cam Thomas as the primary ball handler when he was on the floor. And obviously that's what Cam Thomas was at LSU. That's what he was in summer league. But Nash made a real effort. The guys that he had Cam Thomas on the floor with that actually handled the ball were David Duke Jr., Javon Carter, and Bembry. And like all those guys are fine. Like Javon Carter has been in the league for a while. Bembry has been in the league. Obviously, David Duke Jr. is the same level as Cam Thomas at this point in their career. But I think it was, I mean, it was a decision by Steve Nash to be like, Cam, if you're going to play on this team, I'm going to have to find out who you are as the off guard because, like, you're never going to be the guy who's handling the ball as the primary option on the team if, like, we have Kyrie Irving vaccinated at some point, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. Like, I need to know, can you be off guard, Cam? Can you do that? And I thought he did pretty well, like, Obviously, summer league's like totally different than preseason basketball, and they they treated Cam Thomas as if he was like Clyde Drexler almost or something. Like he was like so ball dominant in summer league that Nash was like, "I need to figure out if you can actually be off guard." And I thought it was effective. Like I thought Cam was quicker with his decisions. He made better moves. He, d- he didn't look as like, "Hey, I'm going to hold the ball for 18 seconds and then just try to put up a shot." There was much more quickness. Now it's one game again, but I thought, you know, that's where he's going to have to be. He's going to have to be playing off of, if he's going to play big minutes at all, ever, I don't know if he will, he'll have to play off Harden or Kyrie and Duran, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, they kind of, I mean, and I don't know if they're going to think to use him this way. It's, I mean, it's a great problem to have like your third stringer who's like basically like wants to be a elite gunner. You know, that's not a, that's not a very common third string kind of situation to be in. Um, but the way that like I always felt like, like kind of the way that like, Carmelo Anthony was used last year with like the with the with the Blazers, which is to say that Carmelo Anthony is still a chucker and he wants to chuck, but they're just like let's run a full offensive set first, and then if we really nothing happens, <laughs> yeah. it'll like fart out to Carmelo Anthony and he'll do something. That's that's maybe a good application for for Camp Thomas, I think. Yeah, I'm now. I don't know when we're going to see this, but I do want to see him play next to Harden in bench unit type situations. And like there were there were a couple of times when when you could see the Nets bench and Cam would make like an incredible play and a bucket. And like I was looking specifically at Harden to see whether he approved and he did. Big approved. He approved of what he was seeing of Cam Thomas. Like the thing is this type of player who Cam Thomas is an absolute baller mm. guy with mm. moves in his bag. Um, is the type of guy that players respect much more than as much as I love Kessler Edwards. Like they respect a Cam Thomas, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams to a higher degree than like, I think the common basketball watcher does. Mm. Like we probably think of those guys as like not that essential to winning, but NBA players think if you can get a bucket, like at any point, that is a super valuable skill. And I, he's kind of already showing that. I mean, it's, it's one game, but it's ridiculous. Mm. How much, how like, it is kind of crazy that this team, as talented as they are, has this like super secret weapon yeah. that they can deploy at any moment to I mean, like help them in regular season games. I, I also like, and this goes back to the you know uh, Wob tweet where like you know if you go through the replies, everybody is like. Um, you know, oh, it's just preseason. It's just, it's just, it's just summer league. And it's like, yes, of course. But also, like, if you've watched it, you already, you already kind of get it. And also, like. You know, he's been scoring at every at the like highest level at every stage of his career. Like this is just the thing that he does. So it like it will continue. That's just true. It's just what how to like harness that to the maximum effect is, is all we're thinking about. And like again, I have a feeling that people who are like super like high on Camp Thomas 
juice are, are gonna see like, listen to this and be like you guys are down on cam thomas again like that's because that's <laughs> where i think they're like especially if you're a fan of a dude who's just like an offensive gunner you just have that chad that alpha chad energy to yourself anyway so any little bit of criticism feels like i don't know if you know any alpha chads in your life but they're actually fairly insecure um sure. <laughs> sorry, this is just going on <laughs> I have no clue what you're talking about, but, uh, do you don't know what an alpha chad is no but i understand you know what chads, now. chads are it's like an incel thing you know what yeah. incels are Hanging chads. Yeah, I, I, I watched the you movie don't, recount you about don't, the 2004 presidential you, you, election. You know what an incel I'm, is, right? What? You don't even know what an incel is, do you? Oh, my God. No. You're so, like, not on the internet. I forget, I forget no, how I'm much really of a normie not. you are. It's really – you're very normative. Um Anyways, Thank those you. are involuntarily celibate people. <laughs> uh, Mike's got kids, so he doesn't know. He's touched too much grass. He, he gets it. Wait, involuntary celibate? Yeah. It's, it's like this <laughs> – Like Nick Cannon. Did you hear Nick Cannon? He yeah. had – he had three kids. He actually had four kids in in a twelve month span, and he's going to be celibate for the rest. Well, that's of the year. that's voluntarily. This is involuntary. Yeah, oh yeah, right, that's right, right, that's right, the difference. Right. You're true. Um, anyways, and so Chad's are the people Sorry. who are who are <laughs> you know voluntarily not celibate. Anyways, um, <clears throat> those guys are going to come at us because any amount of like critiquing of Camp Thomas seems like a shot to the heart of the Camp Thomas stands who are emerging now in droves, which we're not here. I mean, this is, we're huge Camp Thomas because it's just like, how do we fit this into like an already massively offensively talented team when you have a guy who's like basically going to, within four seconds of touching the ball, shoot it every time. You know, that's, it's just a, it's a fun problem to have. It's, we're loving it. You know, that's a fun problem. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It's like ultimately, so I do think there's some danger in Cam Thomas. There is a danger because like, there's just not that much oxygen left after Kyrie, Harden, and Durant are doing it. But we've talked about this before. Kyrie, Ky, and we'll talk about it with Jake Fisher coming up later. Kyrie may not play in 41 home games, though I have a feeling like he's going to get the vaccine at some point. Um, but like, there's multi, there's many minutes to be had. I think they're going to be more conservative with James Harden this year than they were. I mean, from game to game beyond injury, and. You know, it's not that he plays Durant's position, but if Durant's sitting a game, you're going to need extra scoring. So you're going to need this like bench dynamo to play in certain games. Let's do some quick before Jake Fisher joins us. Quick thoughts. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge. Mm. I actually thought he, he looked a little more in shape than he even did last year. Yeah. And last year he was a current NBA player when he joined the Nets. This year he wasn't right. He had had stopped playing because of his heart condition. And then I'm sure he was working out. Um, I felt just again, in this little nugget of, of data that we got, I felt a little bit better about LaMarcus. He, he was seemingly more willing to shoot threes than that little stretch that we had. Yeah. So excited to see about him and Paul Millsap. I'm feeling pretty good about pretty great. I mean, the two of them, like I honestly thought LaMarcus's post defense on AD was pretty good. Um, You know, I don't, I'd never really there hasn't been enough of me watching Lamarcus Aldridge defensively. Like I obviously don't think he's a good like system defender. He's his lateral movement is like comically yeah. limited, but um <laughs> but he he, you know, plays people straight up. He's got good hands, he's got good timing. Like he's not like I, is he the guy who's going to play against AD in the finals? Like, I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I felt pretty good about watching Paul Millsap, though, doing post defense. He's very crafty, super sturdy, just like, you know, keeps them. Um, People at a great distance, um, so I felt pretty good about that. I, he he seems kind of bulkier too, though. I mean, in a good way. He just seems like a but larger yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, like like him and Blake together. I don't know if they're gonna play that much together, but like those are two pretty muscular men. Yeah, beefy. It's be beef. patrolling the paint and yeah. pushing people around. It's definitely beefier than Jeff Green. Like Jeff, I, yeah, I kind of think of Jeff Green as a beefier dude, but by comparison, so, yeah, he's a little bit lean. Uh, do you have any uh, Seku Dumbuya thoughts? Um, um, can I tell you my big thought that I, I had? What was it? John Hollinger wrote a, a Nets preview for The Athletic. It, in it, he said, you know, he was, part of it was a cap analysis. And if they got rid of Seku, it would save the Nets $20 million. <laughs> oh, boy. Ay-ay-ay. Is he worth $20 million? Yeah, um, So yeah. I, as, as, as sweet of a child as Seku is, um, and he is still in the roster, so like, the Nets could have easily have tried to figure out an immediate way to get rid of him. They haven't yet if they want to. Um, I, I don't know if our boy Seku is going to like, ultimately, if we just spend that much brain power on him, 
because he's not worth $20 million. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not to get too, too into it, too, but like, I feel like he kind of falls into this archetype of player, not necessarily in like stature or like effect, but he, he, he seems like very like Rondé Hollis Jefferson esque and just like a lot of what is going right seems like not sustainable. You know, it just <laughs> seems like sort of like, was that, are you just like having a good game and kind of lucky right now? Or is this like what we can expect? And I think that that always kind of, that's the eye test part of it that kind of sometimes catches up with guys. So I don't know. But again, like, I don't want to be down on a guy. Nobody wants to be down on no, a guy. No, 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 Yeah, just thoughts. Just yeah, thoughts. Just thoughts. Um, <laughs> one last thing before we, before we go and get to Jake is that, um, so I was watching that the Lakers broadcast and the Lakers announcers like very like announcery type voice guy. Mm. And David Duke had made a couple of really good plays. And I really don't want to make a David Duke joke like every pod, but it is <laughs> jarring to hear yeah. like uh, announcer voice sure. go, David Duke. Yeah, it is. You know, and like it, does, it did occur to me every time it happens. It, it does. It, I mean, my recall goes there. David Duke goes to the hole. And like, I was just thinking like if, if you had a whole team of like tyrants, like, Ooh. Mussolini yeah. for three, <laughs> you know, like I mean, if you, that's really elevating you, David Duke's platform would be the comparison, but sure. I mean, I get what you, you know, you know, you know, I'm a Mussolini guy. <laughs> you're, you're, are you offended that I put David Duke what on the he, Mussolini like, Didn't he like run for like, you know, he was what a congressman in the seventies or something like the grand wizard yeah. of the KKK. Wasn't I, he? Well, yeah, but I'm just saying that's like, that's, that's a pretty that's bad backwater. Person. That's, I mean, it's bad purple, a bad person. Sorry. Bad I, person. Okay. okay. <laughs> I apologize. No, no, this is what Brian, <laughs> I'm wants. just a Mussolini I, guy. This is know? what Brian wants. Yeah. Uh, I apologize to Mussolini's family. Thank you. Thank you. For comparing Mussolini don't get, us, David don't get us canceled Mike just don't get us canceled but I it is a little jarring but I love I, again I love David Duke's attitude David Duke Jr his attitude of basically like that guy sucks the KKK guy I'm good and I'm gonna you know make it better and he is like he was four for nine from the field four for seven from the free throw line seven rebounds 13 points three steals two assists I'm like yeah preseason I get all of it but he has already shown like he has this like nice versatility. He's he's like a something, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't know. He's not gonna play this year for them and he may, he'll probably be on Long Island. But I there's it's like he's obviously already more valued than Marcus Zigorowski and Raekwon Gray, who we haven't talked about because they don't exist on this team. Yeah, they're not really there. They're they're just not there. Like I don't know what happened to those two individuals. David Duke. They immediately got them sent out. away to Russia. Yeah. <laughs> um all right, let's do this. We'll take a quick break. Coming back, we'll have Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report to talk about Kyrie Irving. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And welcome back. Uh, and joining us now, he is an NBA reporter, contributor to Bleacher Report, and author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake Fisher. Jake, man, thank you so much for being here. This is so great. Thank you guys for having me. That was a pleasant introduction. <laughs> yeah, He's, good thank you. He's good at that. Yeah. Um, so I, as, as we were just about to pop on, I'm seeing some tweets, Kyrie Irving did not attend Nets practice. Uh, sources tell me and Alex Schiffer of the athletic, that's from Sham Sharania. Uh, I think that's because they're in New York 
and he can't practice uh, in New York because of vaccination status. Jake, you had a really nice, detailed, well thought out story about Kyrie, his vaccination status, uh, trade possibilities ish. Um, I want to kind of dive into it all with you, but before we kind of even get to that, what are you hearing about Kyrie and his like likelihood of getting the vaccine? I mean, we've seen Sean Marks hint that it's going to happen, but then we've also kind of heard comments that we have no clue basically. Yeah. I I think if you talk to anyone with Brooklyn, they will tell you that there's still, you know, 20 ish days until their first home game. Right. And they're hoping that he gets one shot because I think the difference also that's important between uh, the city of New York and San Francisco with Andrew Wiggins situation, which obviously that's come come and gone being that he's now vaccinated. Um, But in New York, you you need proof of one vaccine uh, dose in order to enter. So there is hope from everyone, I think, in Brooklyn that Kyrie will decide to get it. Um, but I think also you talk to anyone in the NBA who's been around Kyrie, they will also say if there's one player who could actually go out the whole year and refuse to do it and make his point and whatnot, it's Kyrie too. So, um, again, I try to make a point in any conversation I have. And, you know, I, I think about it whenever I'm making calls and writing that like we are covering people and they are, you know, humans who make human decisions just like anyone, right? And there are certain pressures and things that exist that are behind these guys' mindsets, makeups, what have you. Um, and, you know, if Kyrie, Kyrie is Kyrie, right, if, if he does want to do this and, and say that he just wants to not have the vaccine for the whole season or forever because that's what he believes and for whatever reason that he's not willing to share publicly – there's definitely a belief in the league that he could continue to do so throughout the season. And and it would be fascinating to see how it impacts the Nets title run here. Yeah. I wanted to even, I mean, obviously this is like guessing what I'm about to ask, but like how much of an impact do you think it would be? I mean, on one hand, particularly Kevin Durant, I think understands Kyrie better than most people. And I'm guessing James Harden has a pretty good sense of Kyrie. So maybe they're, they're like more sympathetic to the way he thinks than if he was with LeBron and you know, that was, that was a forced marriage where this one is like Kevin chose to be with Kyrie. You know, they obviously understand each other, but if Kyrie in fact followed through and did not get vaccinated, like what type of season are we looking at? Like, do you think there's scenarios where it becomes like ugly or do you think the Nets will be able to handle it pretty well? Yeah, I think if again, we're thinking hypothetically here, right? Yeah. If he, if he decides to not get vaccinated at this juncture from the conversations I've had, sounds like he wouldn't be able to play in these 41 home games. It does sound like curiously, he might be able to play at the garden and might be able to play at San Francisco. Um, I don't know. Like there's a chance that um, New York city could say, well, you live and work in New York. So you, you still can't play in the garden either. Um, so that would be two more games that he wouldn't be playing in. Um, you know, one one detail I wrote in that story that you mentioned at BR is like the regular season also doesn't really matter that much to Brooklyn, right? Like they just got to get into the top half of that bracket, preferably the top, you know, two. And they got the most overwhelming amount of talent I think we've seen combined um, in a long time here in the NBA. And I think the only real close comparison is that 16, 17 uh, Warriors team that Durant was on himself. And we saw what they were able to do last year with KD, uh, James and Kyrie only playing eight regular season games together. Like there's a reality where this just kind of is what it is. It's 41 plus games that Kyrie can't get hurt in. And the team just kind of cruises together because they have James Harden and uh, Kevin Durant. They're his friends. So they like the guy. They want him around for a while. And by the time the playoffs come around, maybe the virus is, you know, hopefully please God in like more of a downslope and maybe vaccinations aren't even required anymore. Well, there's, a, there's a pill coming out. So maybe he's a pill guy. Maybe he can do the pill. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, red pill. Yeah. So there, there, the there, there, there is that possibility for sure. But then again, you know, the, the downside, the worst case scenario is, of course, 
they start losing a bunch of home games without Kyrie. And then the narrative cycle begins. That's why, why won't Kyrie do this for his team and for the betterment of, you know, people and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I could see it going anywhere in between, but again, like you said, it's a, it's a guessing game we're playing right here. Um, and we're just kind of all waiting and watching and seeing how it's going to unfold. It is crazy to think that part of the guessing game is the guess that he could miss half of these playoff games too. I feel like the media circus around that, it's just got to come to a head. I mean, that's got That's so unprecedented to just like voluntarily sit out half of your playoff games. I don't know. Does that, is that sustainable? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, you know, talk to people in Brooklyn and they'll say if James was healthy last year, they would beat the Bucs in that second round series. And they probably would have won the title, even without Kyrie. And that's not to say they don't want Kyrie. They want Kyrie. But they're so confident in this big three that they only have two of them, right? And they're going to be fine. So who's to say? Who's to say they couldn't do a miraculous, weird championship run where one of their big three doesn't play in half their playoff games, especially if they are a top seed and they're getting, you know, I mean, they start their series first two games at home. Maybe they're up 2-0 going to their, you know, games three and four and they get Kyrie and it's considered to be like a boost. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's kind of nice. Yeah, it's it, so fun it, to actually think about. Yeah, Who knows? I, I mean, this kind of, this Kyrie... Um, non-vaccination story collides in in a bit of a way in your own story with another major, probably the biggest NBA story that we've just been grappling with forever, which is Ben Simmons. Mm. And and and, uh, and like obviously people should read the story because there's a lot of context that you put into this. But when you were talking to league executives, they were saying, "Hey, you know, it could be an idea is swapping Kyrie for Ben Simmons. You know, that's a trade that would work for both sides in sort of almost." I, I think in a vacuum it works, but obviously there's so many other complications. Um, when you were talking to those league executives, talk about those discussions and what you were thinking. Then obviously you got some of your own reporting to kind of bat it down a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I got a tip before media day, the weekend before. Um, someone called me who knows things, let's say, um, and said, you know, I think Kyrie's doing this because he wants to be traded. And I was like, really? <sighs> all right, now I got to start making some calls. And yeah, there's definitely people in the league, rival executives, agents, whoever, people in Brooklyn probably who think that he's pulling some stunt here for reasons. But um, anyone who I know who's been remotely involved with Brooklyn since they signed Kevin and, and Kyrie in 2019 have maintained that he does not want to go anywhere but be in Brooklyn and that he wants to be in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant and they want to win a championship together. And I don't, I mean, I get, I haven't spoken to Kyrie on this subject. Pretty difficult to get someone one-on-one when he's not available to enter his team's facilities and he doesn't have an agent and the only contacts you can have for him are like nebulous emails. There might be specific emails for um, people with his like family foundation, which I haven't I haven't made the effort. To do um, <laughs> sure, considerable seems effort. Like, yes. Seems like a dead end. Yeah. Um, but you know, people who are familiar with the situation all have maintained that th- that the status quo is the same. He wants to be in Brooklyn. He wants to be in net. He wants to be with Kevin Durant. And James Harden's people have told various people around the NBA that they trust uh, who have told me that, um, you know, they expect Kyrie to, to be there and be long-term. And I think the Sean Marks outward confidence about all those guys resigning is a little more confident than maybe he really is, but I think they're all still confident that they're going to resign all those guys. And I just think that, I think the vaccine situation, um, I think he'd be doing this even if he didn't live in New York. And I don't think it would be a story if, because again, there's only two cities in the league um, and maybe the country overall. I'm honestly only viewing this through an NBA lens. I, I haven't heard of another city that has um, a vaccine uh, requirement like this. Um, so, you know, if he, wa- if he was playing in New Jersey, right? Like the Nets came from uh, East Rutherford, right? If, the, if they were still in New Jersey, they probably wouldn't have Ky- Kyrie and uh, Kevin Durant. But if they were, um, you know, I don't know if this is still a story. I think it might just be Kyrie, like Bradley Beal in Washington has been a thing, but it's not a headline anymore. It just happened on Monday. And then 
we've moved on. It's this ramification potential that he could miss 41 games and miss you know, half his salary. Um, that is why we're still talking about it. And the fact that they're obviously, you know, what that impact could have on this championship run. So, so you're advocating for the Nets to move back to yeah. East Rutherford. Is center. that yeah. is that what we can go Big on the vacancy. record and say? Yeah. Or, or, um, or can Joe Sy yeah. fly the team out to international waters when they play home games? Ooh. Is that a, is that a, you know I mean, like some? He certainly has the money. Yeah, yeah. He could fly him out on some some aircraft carrier and they could play games out there. He's, and that he's already got some offshore out. entities floating around there. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, now are we really going <laughs> to? Are <laughs> we diving sac- into the Pandora yeah. Papers yeah. right yeah. now? Yeah. This is great. They, they would they would sacrifice a ton of gate revenue, which I think every team is uh, very much looking yes. forward to coming out of the pandemic. So I don't think that will happen. But uh, <sighs> I don't know who's to say. You know the so the idea of Simmons and Kyrie like. You know, that doesn't make sense basketball rise white. And and I don't think I don't think the Nets would would really ever get there. And also it's like for any team that would want like I don't know who would want Kyrie at this point, knowing what like knowing what he's kind of gone through from Cleveland to Boston to here. Like I think if if he truly were to push his way out of Brooklyn, I th- I think it would be really hard for other NBA teams to be like we can't trust like we can't trust yeah. that he would want to be here in a year. He has a contract decision looming. He hasn't signed the extension here in Brooklyn. Like to me, it would be very hard to believe any team would want him. What type of like what type of team could you imagine wanting him? Like, you know, you talk to league executives more. Do you think that there would be a market for Kyrie, even with everything else sort of surrounding him? Um it's difficult to assess, being that you know, the market is a what have you done for me lately market, right? And um, I think, you know, the talent is there and people are obviously always going to be smitten with Kyrie's abilities on the court. Um, but, you know, the way the league is trending in terms of player empowerment and, and, and building your franchise around multiple guys and kind of building identity around their personalities too, I mean, that is not something to sniff at. It's, it's a real factor here. I mean, an adjacent subtopic of all this is Jonathan Isaac in Orlando, right? And he's someone who not only has a like riddled history of injuries, but now he is standing on these hills he wants to die on. And he's like, from by all accounts, things I've heard preaching his religious beliefs onto his teammates. Like it doesn't sound like the player that the magic gave, um, they don't sound as confident in him being like uh, a, a franchise building block leader cornerstone um, as they did when they first gave him that contract. Um, I think it was like 18 months ago or so. So from here, um, you know, with Kyrie, I think um, it's just important to factor that the basketball aspect of the NBA is very small. It really is. There's so much behind I mean, it's an entertainment industry behind a sport. And I do think similar to the Ben Simmons dynamic right now, I do think his value is lower. I think it's probably higher than Ben's, but I think Kyrie's value is lower right now, theoretically, which again, I don't think he's available for trade. I don't think he wants to be traded. I don't think any team, I mean, I'd be shocked if Philly hadn't called, if Daryl Moore hasn't called Sean Marks and at least pitched an idea of swapping those two guys, I'd be floored. Um, I don't know that's happened, but I'd be shocked if it hasn't. Um, But I still think that, um, you know, if that were to be the case, if Kyrie were to be available, if he were to request a trade, um, there certainly would be teams calling up for him because, I mean, look at the Lakers, right? They did everything they could to just get the guy or a guy that they thought could be the third star to push third championship. And, um, you know, Phoenix gets Chris Paul and they're there and Milwaukee gets Drew Holiday and they're there. Like, there will be a team with Kyrie Irving who's like, yeah, he's available. I'm making an offer, but his value definitely right now is is lower than it would have been before all this happened. Yeah, it's so wild. I mean, you, and you can look at teams where it would make sense, but it gets back to the, like the personal aspect of like Kyrie came to Brooklyn partly to come home, and it would it would be like I'll just say a random team like New Orleans would be very interesting because obviously they won Kyle Lowry really badly. They got Devonte Graham as their consolation prize for losing. Uh, they let Lonzo Ball go, and it's like you could see oh the Duke connection. You have three Duke guys all there together. 
Uh, you could like there's places you could see it working, but I it's hard for me to assume that any franchise could just accept Kyrie Irving and believe that they're going to get anything more than one season out of him, if you even get one season. Um, sure. And with and with Kyrie, like the interesting thing that you bring up with Ben Simmons though is that Daryl Moriover's career has been so focused on just getting a star or getting multiple stars, and Kyrie is like the one. Like, not that he's available and all that stuff, but like, he's a star, like, regardless. And he fits with Embiid. Um, and Simmons fits with the Nets. I just, I like you, like, I don't see it. I don't see it getting there. Like, I almost think the Nets would rather just be like, okay, Kyrie, I guess just don't play home games for a while. And then they just advocate to, to the city government to change their ordinance and make it an exemption for Kyrie Irving, basically. Make the Kyrie Irving exemption. Could happen. And it could happen. And and this is not realistic. But if the fine is only $5,000 if someone plays back. The fine from the city, not even from the NBA. Hmm. I don't know. But the NBA, I think, the NBA is backing the city government, right? In a way, like they're saying we're backing the local. Is that how it's working? That's what I'm trying to figure out is that yes. the NBA yeah. themselves are saying we support what is happening in San Francisco and New York City, essentially. Listen, the NBA wants all their players to be vaccinated, 100%. If, if Adam Silver really wanted to, he could institute a lockout where they could say, if you guys don't, if the union doesn't agree to, man, to mandate vaccines, we're not playing games. Now, that's not going to happen. Like, the league is, like we talked about with gate revenue before, like, the league is, was the league bled money from 2020 to now, and they're trying to not only plug those holes and, and stitch up those wounds, but find... Uh, more ways to make up for the blood that they lost, the revenue that they lost, right? So there's going to be more advertisements you're going to see on the court and um, during ESPN and TNT broadcast, every segment's going to, just like we kind of saw a bit last year, um, those like weird digital ads that you see on TV, like those are going to continue, maybe even get to be more and more. Um, so they're not going to do that, but also like, they're going to do everything they can to, to make it uncomfortable and disadvantageous for players to, to not be vaccinated. Like I wrote in that story, fully vaccinated teams don't have to wear masks at all in their facilities or any, they, they can kind of just walk in just like, I'm sure you guys are, uh, you guys are both based in New York, right? Yeah, I was, I, I'm in DC. Yeah. 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 So in, in New York, I'm in Brooklyn, you know, you have to show proof of vaccine and matching ID to get into any bar, restaurant, whatever. And then once you're in, it's kind of like COVID never existed, right? That's kind of what the league has done for teams that are fully vaccinated. You get a lot more freedom, a lot more flexibility on a lot more sense of normalcy that coaches and people I've talked to in the NBA are saying like they're viewing it, they're viewing it as a competitive advantage over teams that, you know, are going to have to wear masks on their plane and, Kyrie is going to have to be in a distant seating from everybody else in the locker room and on the flight and on the bus. Like they're going to have to get tested all the time. And that's the biggest complaint that anyone in a traveling party had last season was you play a game in Minnesota on Wednesday. And then you have a game on Thursday night in Dallas. You got to wake up at 8 AM to get a COVID test after flying into Dallas at three o'clock in the morning. Like that's something that the undocumented players are still going to have to do. So um, I think the NBA taking up the city's stances here is just kind of another chip in their hat, another arrow in their quiver, or metaphor you want to use <laughs> of like, yeah, we're we're not we're not we're agreeing we're agreeing not to mandate it, but you probably should get it. Like that's kind of what they're doing. Jake, have you been to the bars in Brooklyn much since since the vaccination? Uh, a little bit. A little I do you get the feeling that it's almost like there's less even than before COVID. Less like, people are just so touchy feely now. Like hug, like strangers are hugging each other. It's like <laughs> the pendulum has swung with the vaccinated. That's been my yeah. feeling. Yeah, there's, there's you know a central thought that we're all interconnected. Yes. part of something bigger, right? Yeah, and we we just want to hug it out, Mike. That's all we want to do. That's how that's how I've always yeah. been. <laughs> yeah. and it's gotten me in trouble before uh no uh <laughs> let me ask you two i have two things for you and then i'll let you go because we appreciate your time you got it the, the the last one will be ben simmons so everyone's so excited for more ben simmons conversation okay and i you living in brooklyn you probably know some Nets fans you probably are aware of people on nets twitter uh conversation wise joe harris has been a sore spot 
for Nets fans because he didn't really show up in the Bucks series uh, to the degree that they wanted him to. And if he shoots a little bit better, you know, they beat the Bucks, and that's sort of the thinking. Did you hear of any whisper of like a Joe Harris trade possibility in the offseason? Or did you hear nothing at all like that? Because there is a theory that, you know, if you're going to trade one guy on the team right now to try to get whether to be a bigger wing defender or whatever, Joe Harris is the only guy that you could really do that with. Had you heard anything at all about Joe Harris? Um, it could have happened, but I have not. I, I heard DeAndre a lot. You know, obviously he got his way out the door. Um, I heard Nick Claxon's name pop up a little bit. Um, I know that next people probably don't want that out there, but it's definitely true. Um other than that, I mean, the other Nets talk was that they really wanted to get a backup point guard and it seems to that they did that with Javon Carter um, in terms of trade trade talks and what they were going to upgrade. I think Joe Harris is like a super valued member of that team in terms of an integral piece who's super low ego to a guy, like very low usage. Everyone seems to like him in that building. Um, I, and he's on a – pretty good value contract, even though he is making a lot of money, I think. And you look at like Norm Powell and Duncan Robinson, you know, Joe Harris is on a pretty good value deal. So no, I, I, I again, it could have happened, but I did not hear his name pop up at all. What was the Nick Claxton? Just that he was like, like if we're looking for a backup point guard that the Nets were maybe putting Claxton on the table in some capacity. I think it was more just, I mean, the Nets are a huge tax team, right? And they're looking for ways to shed money on the margins. And I think when teams were calling for DeAndre Jordan, or when they were calling teams to try to move DeAndre Jordan and teams said, well, what about Nick Claxton? I just think that they were open to discussing him, which took some teams by surprise versus like, I don't say the Nets were shopping him by any stretch, but they were open to parting ways with him, which, um, you know, you guys seem to be a little bit taken aback. I, I, yeah, I, I think that um, a lot of rival were, yeah, I think a lot of rival teams were like, oh, I didn't know we could talk about Nick Claxton. I think that's what it was. I don't think it was anything aggressive or they were trying to move him, just they were open to, which I think was a little bit news. There is like a big fan base support of Nick Claxton moment happening. Like, oh. and it's a really kind of, it's a, it's a bit of a cult of personality situation. Um, mm-hmm. But he has, I mean, some like significant kind of, both conditioning flaws and like he can't stay on the floor due to fouls. So it kind of doesn't shock me from a managerial perspective that they're looking around a bit and money. It's money. Yeah, I mean, Obviously the contract. Yeah. yeah. Injury concerns too. He's going to, he's going to end up, you know, reaching for agency soon. Like, yeah, teams are, teams are balancing captures now more than ever being that, you know, look around the league. A lot of teams are stacking the rosters with three players making 30 ish million dollars a year. Right. Or sometimes more. And that, severely limits your restraints on, on, on what you can do um, to surround those guys. And if you see someone who's about to get paid a lot, you know, it, happy, it happens all the time now where, you know, an OKC even like a, a non re, like a rebuilding team, but they trade Hamadou Diallo to OKC right before his restricted free agency or the, the Raptors uh, um, or the Blazers give up Gary Trent uh, to go get Norm Powell because, you know, they, they at least see Norm Powell as more of an established thing than giving uh, a, a second, a, a second contract to a guy who's only done it, you know, once in the playoffs, like those, those moves and ahead of someone's free agency um, or, and pre- pre- being prepared for a big payday that, that generates a lot of trade activity in the NBA. Uh, before we let you go, here's my Ben Simmons question. Yeah. Okay. Cause we don't know where he's going to be, <laughs> but what type of deal makes sense? Meaning like superstar, like I'm going to say, I'm going to call Ben Simmons a superstar, but is it superstar V superstar or is it super like Ben Simmons for a bunch of role-ish players, role players. And is that the type of package? And when is it going to happen? When do you think Ben Simmons gets moved? I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows at this point. Um, I think, my ultimate guess is that will it will happen before the trade deadline, um, but I don't see anything changing at this point in time. Being that his side of things, you know, Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, they've maintained that they are not going to be reporting. Um, they're not going to be joining the team. The, they did not think also that they were going to get fined and lost their money like this too. So and and 
um, the Sixers are, are not, they're now saying, oh, we're not going to pay you. He's not doing his job. He's not showing up to the team that he signed a contract with. So, yeah, everyone, I think, in, in the NBA, when I was talking to an agent today who's not involved in the situation, it was like, yeah, he doesn't deserve his money. He's not showing up to the team that he agreed to play for. Um, and I think of any executive in the NBA, Daryl Moore is at least one of, if not the one, to not pick this fight with. I don't think he will cave. Um, you know, again, I could be wrong too, because at a certain point, there's a notion of how, uh, you know, how explosive can a situation get to a certain point where it's like your team is bad, right? Like if the Sixers end up starting out three and seven, let's say like they didn't obviously it's preseason, but like they didn't look awesome last night, right? Like it'd be different if Tyrus Maxey came out and put up a, a triple double and like looked great, but, um, you know, so I, I think, what's going to happen is dependent on how they start, how the teams that are interested in them starts. And if Ben ultimately um, realizes that um, nothing's going to change here, I'm not going to be traded unless the team gets a better offer for me. And the only way for them to get a better offer for me is to come back and play. I think that's still on the table. I really do. I think him going back and reporting and uh, being around the team, but being quote unquote injured, I think is possible too. It's something that I, no, pretty definitively has been discussed and um, by people in his camp. Um, it's similar thing to what they did with Anthony Davis in New Orleans, right? Um, so I, I think there's just a lot of different factors that um, are at play here, but I think the ultimate factors that will decide this on if how the Sixers start, like if they start off really good and he doesn't look like an integral piece at all, you know, at a certain point, Daryl's going to be able to say, look, like, I don't have to trade you because come to come back because we're good. Come back and play with us and win, help us win a championship. And, but if they're bad, um, you know, then does that put a microscope on Doc Rivers? Does that, you know, increase Ben's value and show, look what he was, they were so good without him or they were so good with him defensively, blah, blah, blah. And now they're not like, you know what I'm saying? Or does the Sacramento starting poorly end up pushing them to, you know, put the Aaron Fox onto the table. Um, you know, I, I think what, what I think the regular season games are going to have to start before we see some conclusion to this. Again, I could be wrong. Anything could happen in between now and then, but that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking based off everything I'm hearing, how this is going to play out. All right. Well, Jake, thank you so much for being here uh, again. You can read him at Bleacher Report. Was that right? And then uh, built to lose how the NBA is tanking or changed the league forever book that Jake wrote. Uh, thank you. Again, for being here. So much fun talking vaccines and Kyrie. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for having me. The book's available anywhere books are sold. So I would appreciate the support. If, if anyone listening enjoyed this conversation, a lot of intel and information on there as well. Yeah. Heck yeah. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. Thank you, guys.